Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Darren, what are we going to discuss today? Motivation, Dave. Uh, motivation. We're talking about, you think I'm lacking motivation? What's going on here? Is this one of those conversations, those uncomfortable conversations people want to have? I think we could probably spend a long time doing that, but I don't think our listeners would enjoy that. So how about looking at ways to motivate ourselves, our employees, and people that we love? You know what? I'm moved to do that. That's brilliant. That's wonderful. So as I was thinking about motivating my children, I remember reading about and studying and actually presenting on William Glasser. He talks about reality therapy and he talks about there's four ways to motivate people. There's freedom, fun, power, and belonging. Freedom, fun, power, and belonging. So he's talking about how you, how, how we as an individual can motivate others by uh-huh. using one of those four, or I presumably potentially some combination of those four. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that. This is actually new material for me, so I'm not familiar with Glasser's work. Sure. Well, he's a reality therapist, and he talked about people are chiefly motivated by maybe more than one, but at least one of those four. And so if I think about it, I'm typically motivated by belonging and fun. I like to have fun in the grocery store. I like to engage other people. You've heard me say my master's degree can be summarized in two sentences. People want to feel like they matter and people want to feel like they belong. And so the belonging thing is really important to me. I like to include other people. Perhaps goes back to when I was the last kid picked at recess and then I had to kick their butt to demonstrate I was better than uh, most of them <laughs> athletically. But maybe that's my issues that I have. And maybe that's why reality therapy is really important for me. Interesting. I mean, we were both the last kids picked at recess. The difference being you had the talent to say you're an idiot. And I did not. So I just, I, I was happy. This is interesting. I was happy that I was picked. Hmm. I think that speaks to belonging, right? Because it's part of the group. And, and belonging especially resonates with me just because, you know, we've talked about Maslow's hierarchy and, and that's the third level of need is love and belonging. I think we all have that need. So what were the other three? Sure. Well, I'll, let's go to the easiest one for me, fun. I'm motivated by fun. I like to, you've been in my training. I like to specialize in entertainment, entertaining training, where we engage people and get them involved and have a good time. I literally will have fun at the grocery store and even at my own expense, um, self-deprecating humor, whatever it may be. Because once again, I like to have fun. Okay. Um, Does anybody not like to have fun? I think you've known some people that seem to be pretty good fun busters. 
that they um, they're serious all the time. Maybe they're fun outside of things, but I think, and you and I both have seen examples of people having fun at work. Yeah, I, well, it's funny. I'm not now. You're flashing me back to fourth grade, hmm. and, um, and and now I'm, I'm reminded of a story. So I grew up in Philadelphia, and as you know, being from Boston, you know, East Coast, we have a lot of history there. And in fourth grade, we decided we the teacher decided we were taking a trip to Pensbury Manor, which hmm. was the uh, uh, home William Penn, the founder of Pennsylvania, built. Uh, outside of Philadelphia in, in what's now modern-day Bucks County. And um, we got up. My mom went, came as the one of the chaperones, and she was a big history buff as well. And, and we got off the bus, and my fourth-grade teacher, Mrs. Bashan, said in a loud and authoritative voice, now remember, we're not here to have fun. We're here for a learning experience. <laughs> Brilliant teacher. Yeah, brilliant. She did stick with me. Um, and in fairness to Mrs. Bashan, and she was my least, second least, I don't know what the, whatever the opposite of penultimate is for the bottom mm-hmm. of, of the list, you know, but not the worst, but, but mm-hmm. vice worse teacher. And the only reason she made vice worse is she got me really good at, at, at arithmetic. Um, and so, which has done me, uh, good stage since then. So, so she has that plus, everything is a plus, but, but that was an experience that here we are some, what are you, 10 years old in fourth grade, roughly nine or 10 years old. So here we half a century later, it sticks with me. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the power of transactional analysis that we spoke about before, you know, adult parent and child tapes and how powerful that is. Yeah. So, so people are motivated for fun. People are motivated to belong. Uh, I like those two. What are the other two now? Freedom. So many years ago, I mentored these guys. They were the Lost Boys of Sudan. I don't know if you remember reading about them or anything, but they were, we mentored, I think, five guys from Sudan and their parents were, a lot of them were murdered when they were eight to 10 years old. And they walked for three months and they walked, they walked barefoot and they end up eating their own mud. Many were eaten by lions and, and, um, alligators and such. Anyway, they get to some place and they end up coming to the United States. The UN found out about them. My family mentored them and they were motivated by freedom just to have a chance, right? And they were also motivated by belonging. So they're in the country a day. So I called SeaWorld, a client, and I said, hey, these guys have never experienced anything you have at SeaWorld. And the VP of HR said, I'm surprised you didn't ask for jobs for them. And since she's a client, I said, well, I was going to wait till the second call. But he said, bring them on down. So they're in the country a day and they all have jobs. And at every paycheck, they would pull their resources together because they wanted to they had they had just wanted to keep that freedom together. They wanted to keep that belonging together. And so they were motivated chiefly by freedom just because of their lives experience. Now, one guy still works at SeaWorld. One guy went on to get his doctorate at USD. I may have may not have an in at USD to kind of get him involved, but he has his doctorate. Now, amazing, amazing stories of these guys. But it all started with their motivated freedom and belonging. And so and the last one is power. People are motivated by power. 
And I think you and I both know people in our professional lives that were certainly motivated by power. Yeah, I think uh, we can think of people, all four of those, uh, when you talk about mm-hmm. freedom. I have a friend of mine who was born in Russia. Um, he was born before the fall of the Soviet Union, but, but was, was raised in Russia. But frankly, the, the culture didn't change dramatically with the collapse of, of the Communist Party. They just changed their names. Uh, and I don't want to go too political here. Um, but I think there's very little contradiction about that. It's now an oligarchy, um, it's still single party rule. And his motivation is definitely built around freedom. And if you talk to anyone who's come from Venezuela or any place where there's a lack of freedom, that's a strong, strong motivator. But how does that translate? So, so being aware of these motivators, mm-hmm. how does that help us when we're talking about persuasion? Well, if in leadership and sales, let's look at leadership. If I'm going to lead people, if I know they're chiefly motivated by freedom, I'm going to give them more autonomy than someone else that I may not give that autonomy to. If someone is motivated by fun, I'm going to make sure that they're involved in any fun activities within the organization. I may even put them in charge of that organization. If someone's motivated by belonging, I'm going to have them in charge or have them have events where people are attracting other people. And if someone's motivated by fun, you know, they'll, they'll engage in the fun. And the last one is power. You know, we know people are like, just give it to me, whatever it is, I'll do it. I'll do whatever it takes. I want to get to that place. I want your job. It was funny. I was just, um, I was watching old survivor, the very first survivor with my son last night and we were watching the, the, the reunion show and this guy, Richard Hatch, who won a million dollars. He said, I walked in cocky. He said, I met with people at CBS and I said, I'm going to be picked for the show. I'm going to win the million dollars. And next year I'm taking Jeff's job. And that's what he said. And talk about a man that was motivated by power, but yet in the game, he did not demonstrate a lot of that power. So I think it manifests itself in everything we do. And we tend to see little tells within our employees, with people that we lead with our coworkers of what they might be. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Can you give us an idea what those tells might look like? Uh, you hire an employee and they'll say something like, um, I want to do what you do. Probably that would be power. If someone is the one that's always saying, hey, let's go to lunch, let's do this, let's do that, that would be belonging. Um, there's someone that in a staff meeting, you and I have had a lot of trainings together. There's some people that like to cut up mm-hmm. and that would be that would be fun, right? And uh, let's see, what freedom, fun, and the freedom is just, just tell me what I need to do, Dave. I'll be happy to do it. Let, let me just try this on my own. Would get be, off. What's get that? Off, get off my back. Let me just do it. Exactly. That's that's freedom. And, and that's where the autonomy comes in. That's where the interdependence comes in or the autonomy, depending on how well they can accomplish the task. So I think just the way people communicate or even the way they talk about their off time. I'm in charge of this organization. I'm in charge of that organization. You know, there's some tells that are that are readily available.
it's interesting because to me, this is reminiscent of the work uh, done by uh, um, Edward Spranger uh, back in 1929. Is he talked about you know, six different, um, uh, 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 I'll use the term vectors. Uh, I, these are different areas where people are motivated and each one of these has their own continuum. Mm. Um, and so to me, the test of our how how good is a theory is when you change paradigms, does it hold, right? And, and so I, I couldn't help but thinking about that. So he looked at at motivation on um, these six different areas, which is our, our theoretical motivation, where how how are we motivated to acquire knowledge? Mm. Uh, what he termed a utilitarian, but you know, how do we how do we approach tasks? Our aesthetics. How do we approach our surroundings, you know, uh, from, from an aesthetic perspective, social, which I, I think uh, you're talking about belonging, um, power or individualisticness, right? I mean, the, and then and then what he called traditionalism um, or methodologies. And I, in a lot of the work that I do, one of the things that, that I, I like to look at when we're hiring people is making sure that the position you're hiring for mm-hmm. rewards people in the areas in which they are motivated. Right. So for example, theoretical, there, you know, there's, you think of it as a continuum. There are people, we all know people like this. They love knowledge for knowledge sake. Yeah. They will go down a rabbit hole. You know, there, there are people who get on the internet and there's some hyperlink and next thing you know, they're they're miles away from where they started, but they've got all this knowledge. They just really they have no idea how they're going to apply it. They don't care about the application. Right. The flip side of that coin, are, um, so we call those people intellectuals. The other side we call instinctive. That doesn't mean like the impl- I hate the word in this context because the implication is they don't they don't do research into specific. Right. They just go with their gut. But the difference is an instinctive in this term means that somebody who will find very specific knowledge for a very specific reason, for a very specific cause, and they don't get distracted by the minutia that may take them away, right? It's really, really targeted knowledge, right? So we get, so I'm very instinctive. I love learning things. Yep. But if it doesn't push the ball in the direction I want to move it, I'll learn it later. Right. And, and so when we know, how somebody's motivated, whether it's through your paradigm or, or this other one, then as leaders or in sales, even I imagine as we're talking to people, we can present our solutions or ideas in a way that will excite somebody based on their personal motivation. What drives them? Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. That's well, well stated. And you are definitely someone that likes to learn information to apply it, not just to be an erudite. I, I haven't bothered figuring out what that means because I can't apply that. Any that's, place. Right. that's why I used it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. It's, it, it's interesting to me. It's to me, it's all about leverage and, and it's in, what's interesting is it doesn't just show up there. For example, I talked about the utilitarian um, vector, right? Mm-hmm. So how we approach tasks. Well, Two sides of that are people who do tasks for task's sake and people who do a task, we call them, so, so th- th- they're selfless. Right? Yes. 
the other side, we have resourceful people who do a test that has a definite ROI or return on investment. So I had a client once and they were losing, why well, I say losing, they were leaving $10,000 a month on the table in their business because they hadn't upgraded their price book in several years. And obviously the prices of things have changed. And so even though they were built on a certain, I don't want to get too detailed, certain margin, they weren't hitting their targets because right. they didn't raise their prices. It took them 18 months to get that done because they kept being distracted by, oh, I got to get the inventory done in trucks. I have to, all these other tasks that needed doing that didn't have the same ROI drove me nuts because I am a resourceful. I'm like, just do this. You'll, you'll put $120,000 a year in your pocket right now. You know, it'd take you two weeks to do. Who wouldn't do that? He wouldn't do it. You know, right. So because his motivation was selfless, these other things needed doing. Yep. So so it becomes a bit of a challenge for us. Oh, it, def it definitely does. And from a sales perspective, if I can figure out what motivates my sales team or prospects, that'll be extremely helpful as well. So like I said, there's there's these tells. So if someone talks about how, you know, how important they are. I remember once I was asking a gentleman that you know for a referral and I said, um, you probably can't think of anyone, Neil, that might benefit from the same work we're going to be doing together, can you? And here's what he said. I'm a very important man in this city, Darren. What do you mean I can't do that? Of course I can. You know, we talk about gracious questioning. And he's like, there's three things you need to do. You need to join this one organization. I became, past, I was past president of it a few years ago. You need to join this other organization uh, called Rotary. I was very involved in that. And you need to join the Yacht Club. And I said, well, Neil, with all, with all due respect, um, I don't really tie knots very well. So, but, you know, the, the meatloaf meat song, don't be sad because two out of three ain't bad. Um, you know, the way that I handled that, knowing he was motivated by power, I ended up benefited greatly from that. Yeah. And, and I, I do know those organizations you belong to and, and you absolutely, um, I, I have no doubt you benefited well. And uh, you probably could have found somebody else to tie the notch for you. Uh, True. So, because I'm very systematic in my approach to things, you know. Mm -hmm. So for so for me, I, you know, I, I like assessments because I could I can objectively identify where people fall on this spectrum. And in fact, we take it a step farther because we look at what are the top four motivators, and equally as important, what are the bottom four. Mm. Right. So because we have six different vectors, each one has you know two poles. Right. There's actually 12 different um, different parameters we're looking at. If you know what the top four are, you know what the bottom four are, you know where your conflict lies. Mm. Right. Because one of the issues in leading with pe leading people, of course, is conflict. Now, conflict is not bad. Po conflict has a bad connotation. I think we talked about this in a previous podcast, but you can't be creative without conflict. Mm -hmm. Um However, we do need to be aware if we see what's coming, there can be bad conflict and we need to understand it so we can get through it and move on. Um, so to me, this, these assessments give me the ability to, to know ahead of time. Using um, the paradigm, and I'm sorry, the, uh, the, the psychologist who developed this is who again? William Glasser. Reality. William, yeah, William Glasser. 
Is there any definitive way that people who are listening to this go, you know, four is easier than 12, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's smaller. I I get that. I won't argue that. No fun, um, uh, fun, belonging, uh, power. And look, I mean, I have three out of four ain't bad, right? Um, Right. What's the fourth one? Well, I'll just, I'm just going to set you free on this one. So uh, Uh, freedom. Thank you. Absolutely. You're a clever man, Darren. I don't care who says what. Um, Only you. So how, how, how can somebody easily make that assessment? Like I said, I do not know. There may be an assessment out there. I do know. I do not know if one exists. You know, I learned this, you know, several years ago in grad school and been implementing it since then. To me, there's some, like I said, there's some tells. And the other thing too is I've had my clients say to their clients, hey, I'm just curious. If you wanted me to to show that you're you're doing really well or I'm happy with your performance or ways to motivate your team, do you think it would be more like freedom, fun, power, and belonging and give an example and let them pick? And that's what I that's what worked really well for a lot of my clients. I do not know if there's an assessment available. And if I may, there is an assessment for sales that measures four qualities, which is it's it's kind of it's kind of motivation. It's desire commitment, outlook, and responsibility. And you've taken this assessment years ago. It's through Objective Management Group, and it's the Curlin assessment, which uh, I have access to, which is really helpful. And to hire salespeople, it has a 95% predictive validity whether or not people can sell. Hmm. Well, that's, that may be worth exploring. We, we may want to take an entire podcast on the millions of assessments that are out there. Oh, we would we would need a few podcasts for that. Yeah, well, I don't know that we need to cover them all, but it's it's interesting to me because it seems like every other week I, I I learn of a new assessment that somebody has. Yeah, I mean, obviously I've done the one you talked about. I'm DISC certified, so I do DISC as part of my my work as well as the the driving forces we just talked about. You know, there there's the ones that people well established for 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 long long time. Um, you and I were talking before the show about. Um, uh, uh, Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I think I might need an assessment on my memory. Um, but yeah, so there's a there's a thousand of them out there. That may be a, another show. So, all right. So we, we've established that whether it's, you know, there the six vectors that, that we use, whether it's the four of uh, Glasgow, um, understanding somebody's, you're laughing. Glasgow, but I'm sure in Glasgow, it's it's really important there as well. Hey, I, I got the first syllable right. That's really good. Well, he it could be Scottish. You might know more than I do. I doubt it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what else can we share with our audience so they can appreciate how to motivate people? So let, let's talk about how do we use this information. Well, I mean, you can use it in your family. Let's just start with a family. You know, I have three children. The three children are motivated by different things. I've got a daughter that used to be motivated by power. I have a son. She's the one who, you know, had her master's degree by the time she was 21 years of age and had been to probably 55 countries. You said used to be motivated by power, so it's no longer her motivation? Ah, she became a mom. And she's, God bless her, and she's expecting a second child um, at the end of this month or early April. So sometimes our environment, you know, William Gla- uh, 
excuse me, um, there's also the theory that behaviors fit times environment. So sometimes people change based on their fit within their environment. So she is not that power person that she was prior to becoming a mom. What's her current motivation? I think it's belonging, at least within her intact family. That makes sense because, right, she now has a, a, a family. Uh, I mean, she had a family before, but it's different, right? Being being a sibling is different than being a parent. Yes. Then I have a middle child, but I've never called him my middle child in my life. I'm just doing this now. My oldest son is motivated by freedom. And he's away in South Carolina getting his education. He's just, he's doing extremely well. He was playing baseball, got hurt. That, that career is over. But he's very much motivated by freedom. Just I'm, I'm, a, I'm my own man. And I remember he was three, I think. And my, my wife at the time was pregnant. And we were at an amusement park. And I, my daughter said, hey, dad, will you take me on this ride? And my daughter said, my, excuse me, my, my wife at the time said, um, you know, I need to take a nap. I, I'm like really, I'm really tired. And I looked at my three-year-old son and I said, son, you're the man of the house when I'm not here. So I really need you to step up. And so that day he developed power. He goes, dad, I've got you covered. And then anytime I went away for business, he would say, dad, I got you covered. I'm in charge, but also want to let you know that I value my freedom as well. So here's this little kid like doing the whole thing. He's doing the power and he's doing, doing the freedom. And then Darren, my youngest son, is motivated by um, belonging and fun. So even in a family unit, you can, you can see how they can benefit understanding our children and our, and our family members better. So the question, though, thank you for that, you know, in-depth and, in, you know, insight into your family. Well, um, I thought you wanted to know, so I just, I'm here for you. Well, I appreciate that. Um, but knowing this information, mm -hmm. how do you, how did you use that to, to motivate your kids to take out the trash or do their homework or do their chores or, you know, the list goes on because this is the same as in business, right? More, right. There's no difference other than, you know, the, 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 the blood ties. Sure. Um, my daughter doing chores, I would time her. She's like, dad, I think I can beat my time from the previous day because she was motivated by power. She wanted to dominate whatever that was. For my youngest son, it was fun. We make putting up doing chores fun. There's trivia contest. We sing. We engage in, you know, talking. We, we make it fun. We tell jokes. And so that's the way to do it in, in the home life, right? Once you understand it. In the work life, it's similar. You know, there's some people that are motivated by fun. How can you make these meetings fun? You know, what can you bring to the table and make it fun? What can you do to have someone that's motivated by freedom give them the chance to kind of explore on their own? I mean, there's definitely ways to do it in the workplace. If you can do it in home, you can do it in the work. Interesting. You know, I'm reminded um... – a couple things. So there's a, a company, I interviewed them uh, when I when I wrote my book. Uh, they're called Snack Nation. They're out of L.A. And the, I believe, VP of, I can't think of what her full title is, but she developed this entire way of recognizing her team using buttons. 
And so I, I liken it to uh, the uh, ribbons and awards you get in the military, right? As a, mm-hmm. Napoleon uh, Bonaparte, who said, a man will fight long and hard for a little piece of colored ribbon. And it's, it's a form of recognition. But in her case, and this is, I mean, she's really brilliant. Um, she also made it fun, right? So she hit on fun. She hit on belonging. One of the types of, of uh recognition that she gives through these buttons and she has these emoticons and emojis she puts on there is um, like if they had a product launch or something or they went through a particularly difficult evolution whatever it might be and they might issue a special button for those who participated so now you have the sense of belonging I'm part of this elite team right it was fun and 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 they have accomplishment ones so uh, you know, you've retained your 1,000th customer or wh- whatever it might have been. And so now it's gamification, right? We all see the games, but now people are motivated by power. They're going to be motivated by that one. So using these four um, areas, either knowingly or unknowingly, I, I wasn't familiar with this theory when I interviewed her, so I didn't ask. She was a- She's able to motivate, depending, irregardless, well, that's, a, that's not a real word, irrespective or regardless, pick pick one, right? Irregardless of Portman 2 that doesn't actually exist. For those of you who are following Miss English, thank you. Um, at any rate, uh, irrespective of what your motivation is, she's got a button, she's got an award for you that, that hits on that. And so, yeah, I, I'm starting to see there's real power in this. Mm-hmm. And it could be fun. You'll have a sense of belonging. And uh, it gives you freedom as well. So it actually encompasses all four. Yeah, exactly. Well, the sense of belonging, because you get part of the button. Yep. Freedom, because you are now control of the match of your own destiny. I, you know, I want this button. I don't want this button. Yep. Nobody's putting a gun to your head. But if you want it, you can go for it. That's right. Yeah, that, that's a brilliant example of, of demonstrating all four. And it also hits on esteem. So, again, we talked about different paradigms. From from my perspective, and this isn't all right, all wrong. It's just a different way of looking at it. I, I like to use Maslow's hierarchy as a, as a motivational model. Mm-hmm. As an insp- I actually prefer inspirational to motivation. And, and I think you'll agree with this. Right? Motivation comes from without. Inspire, inspiration comes from within. Right. So even here, you know, we're motivated because we get something extrinsically that fulfills this um, inspirational. We get it internally. But as an inspirational model, I like Maslow's hierarchy because it really comes down to survival. I think we have covered this in other podcasts. I won't delve into it here. But the level right below um, self-actualization is esteem. And when you give somebody a reward for something, you're recognizing their contribution, and that's what esteem is all about, is the group understanding and recognizing you are contributing to the group because if we're not contributing to the group, as we've talked about before, you're kicked off the island, and now we can't survive very well or as well on our own. Absolutely. No, well well stated. It's nice how we tied Maslow's hierarchy in and some of the other podcasts we've discussed. Yeah. So... I think our, our takeaway from this and our, our call for action to our listeners is if you really want to take your team to the next level, whether it's a sales team or, or any kind of team, understand what drives them, 
what motivates them. As a salesperson, take that a step farther and understand what drives and motivates your prospects so you can speak to them in their language. Absolutely. And if I may, a lot of business owners make this mistake. They hire salespeople and they think they're motivated by money. Most salespeople are not motivated by money. And so if they take the time to figure that out, they'll have a much happier salesperson and much more productive salesperson. Yeah. And in fact, I would take that a step farther and say, not only aren't most salespeople motivated by money, but few good ones are. They want money. They see that, that it, it, it's a representation of some other freedom, right? Money mm-hmm. gives us freedom or, mm-hmm. or power, right? Yeah. Because you know, yeah. obviously money gives us power, whatever it might be. It's a representation of what motivates them. But if they are actually motivated by money, then they're probably going to be doing things to obtain money that you as a business owner or a sales manager don't want them doing. Yeah. Lying, lying to people, hiding things, obfuscating Whatever it takes to get the deal done, and in the end, that's going to cost you more than you're ever going to earn. I agree. Great. Well, another great show, Darren. Thank you, Dave. I'm very motivated now to go out, and I'm inspired, too, to go out and just attack the rest of this day. Absolutely. Folks, if you want to learn more about this, contact Darren or I. Our information is on the webpage. Please, if you like this podcast subscribe so you're uh every time a podcast comes out you'll you'll get information in that pass this on to your friends and certainly if you're looking for some additional sales training to help you in this area give darren a call or contact him through his webpage uh, darrencecil.com and also if you're looking to inspire from a leadership perspective definitely reach out to dave and he has lots of great resources which are also and this information as well. All right. Great. Thanks. Till next time. Locked on Leadership, right, Dave? That's it. LockedOnLeadership.com. You got it. Take care. Take care. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you fail to disarm them.